the, the catchphrase I say people, I say go to church. And what I mean by that is in some ways it's you have to engage in the human relationships around you. That's like the best way to go about that. You know, you have you have relationship, you have a family, you have some kind of community around you. And so that's the, the, the best place to go because in some ways that's the place that will have this procedural aspect to it that will will ground the other stuff you know it's like if you have to if you have to you know to help your kids with their homework or you have to do this this kind of really grounded stuff that has nothing that's very little to do with the, the ideology you you get engaged in other other people's lives then it it binds you in a different way right? and then like my you know my father would um he was going to church and I wasn't really living with him but he was going to church and he would like kind of yeah, so those are elements of this conversation because I gotta go to church um it's being being part of a church is part of Christian discipleship and in that word discipleship there's this word discipline which is it's a discipline to go to church I was what would be so great about actually going to a church is like you start going to a church so that when you do need like to be prayed for and you have something to be prayed for about you have a place to just say that you're dead on right Grizz and that is what the church is for to know and be known to love and be loved to have a place to go where people can pray for you where they will welcome you in and this is again part of why I'm, you know, I I I I want churches to have estuaries because it it is I know that it is difficult in many churches for people to, in a sense, come in and bring their real self. And what I mean by that is people have to say what's on their mind. Or you can't wrestle with them. It's like, you know, so Plato, you know, as John reminds us, is broad, so he's a wrestler. You can't wrestle over a screen. So maybe if it's paintball for Jesus, maybe it should be wrestling with Plato. Um, because, and, and in church, in a real space, now often it doesn't happen. I understand that. But at least there's a chance to actually have a relationship with grit. And that's part of why churches are local. They're relational, they're face-to-face, -face, they're in real life. said about why would young people want to go uh, to church? And I, I feel like I want to have some, some kind of dynamic message or something that if they do find some reason to come, you know, I'm, I'm trying to fish, so I'm throwing bait and I'm trying to hook somebody. It's what Paul is doing too. It's he said about being evangelical, evangelism of some sort. Well, fishers of men is the uh, yes is the promise. Yes, yes, correct. It's possessed. We did go to church today. I took communion. I I don't go to church to think or to rationalize God. I go to church to worship Him. Right. And, and that's, I'm happy with that. I'm, I'm very happy with that. 
And afterwards, during coffee hour, we can all argue about the God of our understanding, right? Yeah. But I think you're right. I think that the wild twin, I mean, I the thing that led to my my sort of dawning to consciousness of Christianity it was a 101 day vigil that I did in forest. And I went into the forest. You don't have to go crazy. Yeah. You actually have to go, you have to, you have to humble yourself and be, and, and do it right here, right now. Right. Get up. You like, I like how uh, Father Schmemann talks about it for the life of the world. He says it starts when you get up and get ready and you walk or you go to church you start these that's those are simple i get up i brush my teeth i take a shower mm -hmm. i put on clothes i go the things of life and we're ascending up into heaven you're Right. There is a little bit of branding for some of you who don't know what you just walked into. If you don't know what you just walked into, that was a little bit of Virtually Not Alone network branding. I think that one was made by Rocco. And um, if you're looking for branding for your Virtually Not Alone network, talk to Grim Grizz and Chad and they'll be able to hook you up. And welcome to the live stream this morning. But I've got Ken in the waiting room. Um, Jordan Hall is going to join us in a little while. But before that, I wanted to bring Burn on quickly. Uh, Burn, um, you've you've been doing a fundraiser to get your to get your library from Alaska to Tbilisi, Georgia, and you just discovered what that you you thought you had two thousand dollars in the budget to do something, and it wound up to be well, seven. I, I've already raised $12,000 and 2,000 of those dollars were going towards a barge to take my library from uh, Haines, Alaska, 1,000 miles, 1,600 uh, kilos down to Seattle. I don't, I, I, for some reason, I didn't think about it and didn't double check my number. <laughs> and it turned out it wasn't 2,000, it wasn't 3,000. They wanted $7,500, which is just like, it was like a huge shock. Um, but the good news is, is I, you know, I just decided, okay, I need about 6,000 more dollars. I've already, I got a thousand last night from working on it. I've had a, a challenge grant right now, or Richard Lund gave a, he sold one of his paintings, uh, not paintings, uh, photographs thousand dollars and he's giving me the proceeds if i can uh get match that amount and uh, hopefully tonight so okay. i'll be going on in about an hour on my channel okay but i'm thanks for having me on just to let people know what's going on this is just like a crazy 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 yep, yep. so all right burn so burns channel the anadromist in an hour he's trying to get his he's trying to get his library from Haynes, Alaska to Tbilisi, Georgia, of all crazy things. And he's raised most yeah. of the money and that's coming up. So you can catch that. So thank you, Burn. Thanks for, thank thanks you, for coming on and letting people know about it. All right. I'm going to bring these two guys in. Um, this was sort of a last minute put together, but I, I've i been... Uh, Jordan, this is... You can't hear me? All right. Um, you might want to do some work on that when you can hear me signal. Got it. Okay. Okay, good. So I, I've been, you know, this is actually the first time Jordan and I, Jordan Hall and I have spoken. We've had some almosts 
in the past, but never been able to sort of put it together. And I was I was deeply moved and and quite struck by the podcast that you made chronicling some of your um, decision to be baptized and join a church. And and then that if that wasn't enough, then Ken, who just had this really amazing AI conversation on your channel with Jonathan and John and DC Schindler, you followed it up with your conversation with Jordan, which I thought was even better because what struck me was here, here we have Jordan Hall, who was known in this corner, known via Rebel Wisdom and the Game B movement, um, finding, you know, finding something in church that was enough to, to have him submit to baptism. You know, he, and move his family and go there. And, and then you can, in, I thought, just articulate, beautiful way, someone who didn't grow up, let's say, in a difficult church, you know, and you, you said you grew up in really a wonderful church, as did I, express your difficulty. And part of what I've seen in this little corner of the internet is that part of this for many people is sort of working their way through this question of church. Because I played this little branding ahead of time because in a lot of this branding that around the Grim Grizz channel they're sort of developing, they just brought in all of these layers to what church is and how it functions. And the more layers you have, the more stumbling blocks you have. And you two spoke about that. So I, I wanted to sort of have you two on and see where the conversation uh, would go. Because in many ways, many people are sort of in the position of, with respect to church, can't live with it and can't live without it. And, and there's that dynamic. And so both of you coming at this from such interesting places and then meeting each other, if you haven't seen their conversation, by all means, see it. But that serves as an introduction to this. Um, maybe maybe Jordan uh, or Ken, though, you're, I don't know how your time is because Ken's at work. Yeah, I um so f I think right now I probably could bet on about an hour as long as nothing uh, as lo long as nothing crazy comes in. Okay. Uh neither of you have been on the channel before. I I very much want to do a conversation with Ken and his brothers at the Chino conference. I I wound up being their chauffeur and I loved I love driving Ken and his brothers in the car because some of what Jordan talks about in terms of finding in that church you can also find in families and it's so beautiful watching brothers who love each other, but they're brothers. And so all of that stuff is in there. Ken, why don't you start by just giving a little bit of a way too short for a full Randos conversation, but a little bit of biographical information about you, your church journey and, and where you're at now. Sure. Well, first of all, um, thank you, Paul. I'm very happy to be on your channel. It's like you said, that time in Chino was really wonderful. I, I really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit and, it was yeah, it was a lot of fun to be there with my brothers and uh, and work through all this. Um, yeah, I I grew up sort of a fundamentalist um, Anabaptist background, sort of an offshoot at the confluence of sort of like Southern Baptist and Mennonite. Um, you know, it was very sort of separation from the world. You know, this world is going to burn and pass away. We're going, we're we're just pilgrims here. We're going somewhere else. Um, very yeah, very sort of. Um, judgmental God, right? A very sort of uh, judicial um, understanding of what Christianity is about. 
um, substitutionary atonement, those sort of things. Um, moved from there into a sort of evangelical context, went to Biola University, got a, um, did some biblical study stuff there. And then um, Jordan Peterson, John Verveke, um, that sort of tangent, haven't been to church since COVID, um, found evangelical Christianity, at least the brand that I was a part of, um, pretty, let's say, shallow. Um, and it's just sort of didn't find it fulfilling and, and sort of bottomed out of it. Um, have been pretty ambivalent to church over the last couple of years. Um, I've done a lot of just sort of like, um, I think opponent processing to, uh, with John Verveke's language would be right. I think I've touched my toes into adversarial processing here and there. Um, but mostly I think have been just wrestling with Christianity. Um, and that's sort of what my channel's about in a lot of ways is, um, wrestling between all the, all the usefulness, all the tools, all the, um, really helpful framing that I've gotten from John and Jordan Peterson. And then I, I went pretty significantly into the East, um, through Ramdas has been a really big influence on me. Um, Alan Watts, those sorts of guys. And then, um, reading more about Eastern stuff to, um, Nishitani, um, DT Suzuki, those guys, um, got a lot of sort of Eastern practices, which have helped me a lot. And then those sort of have dumped me back in Christianity because, um, as I've said many times, everywhere I go, I find, um, Jesus is right there sort of underneath me already. Um, and so over the past, um, yeah, over the past year, several months, especially have sort of been finding a new sense of appreciation, a new sense of, uh, openness and interest in, in the church, especially, um, and so, yeah, Jordan's, Jordan's movement came at a really interesting time for me, um, because it, it sort of coincided with a lot of these movements. And, um, I have the utmost respect for Jordan. Um, he's been tremendously helpful for me. Um, you know, I, I take, I take the way that John talks about tracking Socrates in the beginning of after Socrates. Um, I've done that with a lot of different people and Jordan's one that I've done that with and found really, really helpful, just sort of the way you articulate things, Jordan, all those sorts of things. So um, with that being said, it was profoundly impactful for me to hear about Jordan's movement. Weirdly, sort of, um, I I didn't expect it at all. But then as soon as I heard it, I was like, oh, that actually makes sense based on um, um, some of the strains that I had been hearing and some of the things he'd been saying. So um, it just so happened that we already had a conversation scheduled. So yeah, I um, that's where I'm at, sort of uh, tentatively. Um, open and interested in, in re-engaging in church, um, deeply appreciative of, uh, of Jordan and, and the conversation that we had the other day, uh, especially I thought was really, really wonderful. Um, so yeah. All right. I will put the link to that conversation in the notes below. If someone wants to drop it in the chat, they can do that. Jordan, you and I, um, again, we haven't spoken before, but we've sort of been circling. I mean, John Verveke in that sense has sort of been the, the connection between us. And I, you've, you've been in, you've been in this space a while. Again, this is, I don't have time to really do the full treatment. I'd love to have you on sometime and just give you the time to walk through your story and uh, ask questions. Cause that's usually what I do with people's stories. Why don't you give us maybe a, a brief version of, uh, of your story. And again, for, for that podcast that I treated in a different video, you can, this beautiful podcast really walked through it well. 
Um, people were sending me that podcast like crazy. Why don't you give us a little introduction as to who you are and and how on earth um, you found yourself in this in this sort of crazy space we have right now? Well, I, it's not <clears throat> perfectly accurate to say that my trajectory is the opposite of Ken's, but um, there's certainly something to that. So, for example, um, my first real intellectual passion was Nietzsche. And I was becoming, I was hitting the direction of becoming a Nietzsche scholar. If I had gone to grad school, instead of being an entrepreneur, that's, I would have studied that in combination with like his, the post-structuralist commentators like uh, Foucault and, and Deloitte. And I spent probably 15 years, even after I left uh, university, continuing to delve into that. Um, and so the, uh, not anti-Christian, but you know, the sensibility of not struggling or wrestling with Christianity because Christianity was already a done deal, dead and buried long ago. And the question is, what do we do in these days? Um, and so that was the the story until relatively recently. <laughs> and then to kind of like teleport to to the present, because I think it actually lands just right. Um, my wife and I got married uh, two days ago um, in, in our church. Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> and it was uh, it was absolutely perfect. I mean, beautiful beyond comprehension. It, you know, one of the things I've noticed is that as I've been spending more and more time in this context is Maybe one of the advantages of the 52 years or 51 years I spent as a, as a non-Christian, as a, and I think this is popular, like almost as a master of the secular. Like I really have gone deep in four or five distinct dimensions of the secular with a, with a real view of, of the furthest elements of that culture. And frankly, with an intent, the game B story of how do we actually do this within this cultural milieu, within this worldview, which is now I'm in a position to be able to critique it with a very high degree of precision and intimacy. Um, and so I looked at the category of marriage and you know, we were talking with some of the, our friends in the church. And I said, look, the one thing I can say for sure is I want not a drop of the secular to be in this because it's not supposed to be. They never should have been. Um, and so we had a, it was effectively it was house church on Wednesday, which happened to be on Valentine's Day, which happened to be the same day both my parents and grandparents were married, uh, which happened to be Ash Wednesday. Uh, none of which, by the way, was malice of forethought. It just happened to land exactly that way. And... Um, <laughs> I borrowed my suit. My wife borrowed her dress. It was a potluck dinner. All the songs were just the devotional songs that we wanted to sing at house church anyhow. Uh, the only thing I paid for was a 70 bunk kit at the top. Um, and my daughter was, <laughs> it was just, it was, and, and the, and it was beautiful about it was the felt sense of consecration and encouragement. Like everybody in the mm -hmm. church was speaking forth of the, wow, this was, in fact, one of my friends, Grant said, this put flesh and bones on what we believe. Mm -hmm. It was an embodiment of it in a very deep way, which felt beautiful to me. So I've gone that journey. <laughs> You'll have to sort of uh, choose to, to attend some of these other podcasts. You want to figure out what happened in between, but that kind of gives you the broad strokes. Wow. Wow. I have two, I have two sons right now organizing their, their weddings and um, they're both doing it in very different ways. But, um, you know, I, I keep going back to my own, I think my wife and I got married for $1,500 reception included in 1988. And again, it was, you know, it was at the church and my father was one of the preachers and my local preacher was another and, uh, congratulations, congratulations. Um, Ken, talk a little bit about I mean, you, one of the things that, that Jordan just did beautifully was give a bunch of us, some of us had a feeling of, wow, yeah, that was my wedding. That was my, what my church life was like. Um, a, 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 a wedding reception as church potluck. 
wouldn't that be great? And I know a whole bunch of other people heard wedding reception as church potluck. That is exactly what I don't want for my wedding. And we are we are in this really strange place right now where on one hand, Jordan, you said it beautifully, um, you, you've you've been you've been living the secular life and now, wow. I married my wife in a church and the potluck was the reception and all the church people cringed. What is going on? Mm. <laughs> There's a, um, first of all, I love that story, Jordan. That's, that's amazing. I'm, I'm so happy about that. Um, I, I, I get so tired of all the shenanigans around weddings. So that's just wonderful. Um, the thing that comes up for me here is actually, um, my friend uh, Matthew Whedon, who I met at, at Chino, the Chino conference, uh, said to me the other day after watching the conversation that you and I had, Jordan, he said, you know, Ken, the thing that you do that's really cool is it's it's not some sort of trivial authenticity. There's this sort of deep sense of honesty that you bring to conversations. And I took that as maybe the most significant compliment I've, I've gotten. Um, that's one of the most significant compliments I think I could get from from things on my channel, because that's that to me sort of like puts its finger on what we're what what i hear in that story from you jordan that's sort of the sense that i've gotten from you throughout um, our relationship is this sort of like deep commitment to an honesty that is it's not it's it's this entire the entire self is called into a true accountability a true resonance with what's with what's going on there's no sort like superficiality is is is, is totally appropriate insofar as it's actually superficial, right? Mm -hmm. But but not like like if 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 the, if if we're stopping at superficiality or if the superficiality goes to a level that it shouldn't be at, mm -hmm. that's not cool. We're not good with that. Like it needs to be. And so I'm I'm the word authentic is obviously here, but um, I know some people, especially in this corner, have trouble with that word. But I think it's authenticity in the really deep sense of like, you know. Church for me, like the reason I, I I left the church was because of this superficiality. It was because like I felt like I wasn't, I didn't really believe it. I was pantomiming everything. I was trying to want to want it. I was trying to want to love Jesus, but like it it didn't it didn't really land in the deepest sense. And um, I think that's sort of what we're all really looking for here. And and what I really hear in that story from Jordan is like, hey, you know. All these things land together. Let's get married. Let's do this thing. We've got, you know, we're in this place. We're with the people that were, you know, it, this consecrated sort of sort of sense. But it's not about this big, you know, superficial thing. It's actually about are we all fully participating in a deep sense of authentic honesty? Yeah, it's interesting. I was noticing in the in the <laughs> In the Buddhist or New Age variant, you know, whatever, whatever flavor of that made it to America, you oftentimes run into people who have um, what's it called spiritual bypass. You guys familiar with that term? You have spiritual bypass. It's 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 uh, it's where you you superficially simulate enlightenment, um, but always at the service of a, of a very particular form of narcissism. And um, yeah, I was noticing something like. It's the right kind of term, like a savior bypass or something like that, where, you know, an example would be, obviously your wedding isn't about you. 
And that's kind of the key element. It's not about you. It's, it's also not about you being not about you. Right? That's the Scylla Charybdis you have to be careful with. Um, but if you can actually land in the fact that your wedding is actually part of a an echo of the eternal and the reconciliation of God with his creation and Christ with his church, and you're you know being gifted the possibility of holding that spot for one particular moment as part of a, of a covenant relationship, and you really hold that like for real. It's weird. Like we live in a in a culture with that notion of like actually just really holding meaningful, important things as if they are meaningful and important and with full stake, then something happens right it's just like a well it's a well-honed bell you know like ever had a situation where like there's a bell and maybe it's got a crack or you're it's touching cloth and you hit it and kind of like thunk but if you actually get that bell and it's in its tone that it's ready and you hit it and it just rings that's it right? if you can get it to that place then it rings and then that that ringing feeling echoes to everybody who's listening to that and that i think is the that's the beauty that i've been feeling um and I'm, I'm praying that i don't have to run through the a whole loop of of uh, not wanting to be in church because that would be a well, getting pretty old for that. <laughs> well, I guess I have two thoughts. One is, you know, I've been around church long enough that I do know that the honeymoon effect is real. <laughs> and you can even see the honeymoon effect in the book of Acts. Because, of course, the book of Acts has chapter 2 and chapter 4. There are these halcyon days of everyone shared what they had with one another. Mm. And then, of course, right after that, you get Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> where, you know, a couple actually gets struck down by God and, and suddenly everyone's like, oh, and, and that, that connects with this. If I think I'm understanding your, the spiritual bypass term correctly, there's always a, with us in this dispensation, I don't say that to trigger dispensationalism because the word is much deeper than dispensationalism with us in this particular frame right now between what I call creation 1.0 and creation 2.0. Wow. Um, there, there is a sense that I, I constantly get when I read Jesus in the Gospels that this particular, this particular instantiation of creation can never fully hold all the glory God intends to deliver to us and for us and through us. And so this this tension of, in some ways, the, the simple church wedding with a potluck reception is, is, is a beautiful instantiation of, I think you said it beautifully, Jordan, that in a certain sense, the wedding isn't about you. <laughs> because when both people stand at that altar and they make those promises, what they're basically saying is that it, it's kenosis. It's we will empty ourselves for this new creation, which is our marriage. I sometimes tell people that they should, they should name their marriage. And they're like, what? And, um, you know, I, I've seen a marriage named Vietnam and I don't mean the country, I mean the war. Um, and because marriages have, marriages have a spiritual body, which has, is the coming together of the the bride and the groom and then the children. And then it reaches out to all of those. And so in a sense, there, there's a way in which the the church wedding with the with the potluck reception is this beautiful instantiation. Yet, I think for many people struggling with church, they deal with that. It's still it's still in a degree of simulation because there will always be elements of it that betray 
we, we have a we have a real sense of even the best church you've ever been to, there is a level of betrayal. It mm -hmm. never in this world can fully embody everything that it should. And you know, to me, that's that's part of what at least the the reformed community talks about total depravity. It's not that everything is as bad as it could be, but in this world, sometimes even the best things, there's always, and sometimes it's limitation, sometimes it's corruption, sometimes it's betrayal. There's always a level in which we we can't just get there. But then in that C.S. Lewis argument from desire, yet in our hearts we desire its fullness, knowing that in this moment, the reality we are partaking in can't quite hold that weight of glory. Did that make any sense? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and well, for me, I had two things. I, one is, of course, and, and thus Christ, right, the, that one very specific aspect of creation that does hold total glory and that allows us to have a, a waypoint that orients us towards it. Um, and then the second is, weirdly enough, I actually was having a conversation with a young man who just wanted to chat. You know, we've talked in the past, in fact, you know, known in this world, but um, he's on this journey too. And this was actually very much the subject of the conversation. This notion of the, the, you know, he's like, well, is, is Christ the, the Jesus Christ the only one? Like, is there was there one before? Are there are others. And it's like, well, the only one without sin. You know, we're we're we're, we're all sort of participating in a journey towards something we're, we're in the process of justification we're in the process of consecration we're in that process but there's only one that is all you know all the way which is a different kind of thing um so yeah i think that's a very great like that's in some sense that's the that's where we are that's the essence of the world that we live in is one that has a you know, sin is everywhere and it's at the micro and the macro so you're in a place where it's like oh man this is full of sin Okay, fair enough. And you're in a place like this is amazing. Like, okay, and also there's cracks in it. There's no way around it. Yeah. There's I wanna so there's a I want to bring in something along with this because uh I I there's this great book. Um John recommends it here and there called uh, Alone with Others. Um it's a it's a commentary on Buddhism. It's uh uh it's by a guy named Stephen Batchelor. It's really, really, really excellent book, but it's actually made me more of a Christian than I've been for a while uh, as a as a Buddhist. The hospital is um, us. Well. And one of the things he talks about. Okay, you cracked up there, Ken. You, you're gonna have to repeat that. Alone with oh, others. Oh yeah, alone with others. It's a book about Buddhism by uh, Stephen Batchelor. One of the things he talks about in that book is that the first step towards becoming a Buddhist is to take refuge in the Buddha. This existential taking of refuge idea, and. It's something like you take all the existential questions that weigh on you. In some sense, for me, this feels like that sense of always trying to prove that my life is actually worth something, always trying to do something to actually make this whole journey, the suffering, um, all of it matter. The fact that I'm going to die, like just to do something to make it matter, take the weight of all of that and displace it off your own life and place that whole weight on the life of another right in this context he's talking about it in relation to the buddha i take it in relation to in relation to jesus right if i actually can take that existential weight and say i actually don't need to prove anything because i'm actually i'm i actually buy into 
this notion that that this guy at this time somehow whatever this means that he was god and man that 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 he actually did it like he actually did the thing Ooh. in the way that everybody is trying to do the thing and because of that like i can take all of that angst right of, of that existential weight and i can just sort of let it go and i think a lot of people and and for me and where these these church issues get tricky is we try to do that but we do it with the church instead of the person of Jesus. Mm. And there's a very big difference because like you said there's always this betrayal in the church. There's always this, you know, it's it's made up of people, right? It's always, you know, and we're trying some people are really darn good at resonating <laughs> with Jesus, right? That's you know, we call them saints. And they're really good at it. And maybe even, you know, depending on your theology, maybe they even do break through in that sort of way. And maybe they do become sort of aligned to that, but they only become aligned in so far as you really get to that point of placing that existential faith in the person of Jesus. And to me, to me, that's, I don't know, that, like, that's what I, what I hear you saying there, Jordan. And, and I just wanted to fill that out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Boy, you just touched on the Protestant Reformation along with a whole lot of other things. Because the question is, so when I talk to some of my Jewish friends and I talk about, you know, Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, ascension, the ascension is an integral part of that entire story. Some of them will say to me, well, the ascension is kind of where I have to step away. Because when you, when you tell me, Ken, when you start using this word Jesus, um, and, and putting this on Jesus, wow, that's pretty abstract because you can't, you know, you're in a hospital right now. You can't just go down to another floor and, and touch his garment. Um, and so then in, in many ways, the, the conversation in the Protestant Reformation was about how actually do I gain access to this Jesus? And there's a really good argument in there because a very traditional argument from the Orthodox, well, you gain Jesus through apostolic succession, through the hierarchy, through the church. Now, Protestants say, yes, you, you access Jesus through the church, but Protestants, I mean, so the move you made there, Ken, there was, there was a deeply Protestant move right there that you made. And in many ways, a lot of, if you look at the other conversations that when people listen to, they don't hear it as specifically religious. They might hear it as cultural or political or philosophical. These parts of our conversation that we have going on through Jordan Peterson and John Verveke, we're really dealing with this question of, well, in a Christian sense, well, you say, I put this on Jesus. What on earth do you mean by that? And when you look at the history of the church, well, that's, in a sense, what they have all been trying to do. And so what was so fascinating, Jordan, about listening to that podcast and your story, that sense of embodiment, there was a, you know, I, 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 there's an optimal fittedness. Jordan or John talks about optimal fit. I, I think human beings are, there. there's no fit. That's the eschaton. It's, it's, we're just always working on the fitting of the optimal grip. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what you, what you just pointed to, Ken, wow, there's, there's a ton there exactly with respect to this point about church. What on earth are we talking about? 
Mm, yeah, well, we can because we can we can notice if we take zoom out one level that the body of the church is quite fractured, and so, um, and that's a problem. That's wrong. I'll just, I'll just put it. It's not. There's something wrong with that. There's something right with that. I think. By the way, I'm just putting myself out there. Obviously, I have the advantage of the honeymoon phase, so I can say nonsense. People would be like, "Yeah, he's just saying nonsense." Uh, <laughs> no, but that? you're right on that too. Yeah, I mean, there's something there. Um, but that optimal grip is kind of like, um, it's funny. It's like trying to get an optimal grip on an orange, but you don't have, you only have like one mono finger. Yeah. Like, no, it, it needs to be a certain shape, right? There's a shape that's necessary to get optimal grip. And the, you know, the embodiment, right? The body of Christ is not a single organ. It couldn't be. That's not how things work. If we're using body as the word, and that's the word we're using, it's going to have organs. And those organs are going to all be doing certain kinds of things in relationship with each other as part of a larger whole. Um, so I feel like there's maybe, oh, it's, it's something like there's, there's a, a micro macro thing going on where each of us individually, each of us in our family relationships, in our community relationships, in our larger church relationships, the church as the church, then ultimately as the whole um all of these things are in this in this sort of problem of reconciliation and coming into something. Uh, and, huh, funny. Sorry, I'm rambling, but no, but that's just, not rambling. You're doing good. Can, Keep can I? Can I? Yeah. Can I pick up on that? Because that's yeah. that's that's perfect. Because this micro macro thing is exactly like there's 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 one answer to this question that's sort of the metaphysical answer of like you know. What, what what does it mean for Jesus to actually tie things back together, right? Mm -hmm. And and I can talk about that, and that's interesting. It's good, whatever. But what I'm talking about when I when I invoke this um, taking refuge in Jesus, I'm talking about a very particular, particularly personal and relative position. That is like like this is one of the ways and. Again, I'm sort of outside the church. So like Jordan, I'm going to take the license to 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 say things that may may upset people. But um, I sort of think about traditional Christianity and Protestant Christianity as being a, a bifurcation and an emphasis of these two questions, right? Traditional Christianity emphasizes the absolute, the metaphysical, the um yeah, and and Protestantism emphasizes more the personal, the the how how do we make this work for individual people? at whatever time and place they are. And I think, you know, like if you, if you get those two things, right, you get your personal, like, like the personal shifting onto the, the personal shifting of the significance of my own life off of my own life, right. Onto this in the, in this trustful faith, ah, I'm struggling with words here, but uh, manner onto the life of another of saying that somebody else actually did it. And I'm therefore I'm going to live in the way that he did. Right. I can't do that. If the church isn't there, I can't do that. If some sort of um, lineage isn't available to me to participate in. And in that sense, the traditional churches are correct, but I also can't do it simply by means of saying I'm a part of that limit lineage. Mm -hmm. I also have to actually do it personally. Yes. And that's what I'm getting at is like, yes, if, if, if I do that personally in the micro way, then I can actually come into this macro tradition of lineage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did, we, did we talk about that notion of leaving your tribe? I think we talked about that in, in our, like our earlier conversation. Cause we talked, we had talked about a, a, I'm sort of borrowing that actually from like a conversation that we had almost a year ago, I think. 
one of these conversations I've had in the past couple of weeks, there was very specifically this notion of um, like an adolescent, you know, an adolescent has to become individuated. And there's, there's an adolescent phase of relationship with the church where you, you aren't, you're part of a tribal structure, but it's, it's sort of, it's imposed on you. you. Haven't You haven't kind of metabolized it. You haven't earned it. You, you are in relationship with it. You're just in it. Right? You poured into the mold and frozen. And so what ends up happening, of course, is you have to go through a process of growth. You have to individuate in some way. And this is a tragic move. Right? There's a breaking, a, a suffering that has to happen so you can limber back up again. But then you can return back. And the returning back, the prodigality, is the place where you actually are in a, in a real relationship. You're authentically in something. You have done the work to be able to do that stuff you're talking about, to be, I am here. Like, I am, I am showing up through full choice. My own, I've, I've owned my own sovereignty. My sovereignty is now being given back into this in a full way. I'm here. Like I, I will take on the yoke because I, I, I'm choosing to take on the yoke, which is a very different kind of thing. Um, something that came up for me that I thought might be useful is I, I had this visual image of you know, Christ. It's like a, 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 a rock dropping into a pond and it just ripples going through the world. And I can say from my own personal experience, I had to go through a meaningful amount of suffering to be available to receive. Um, and, and my guess is this is true of everyone. And my guess is this is true of everyone particularly. My flavor of suffering is different than yours, Ken, because we were thrown into the world in a different way. But as that is working through the world, the way that Christ shows up in, say, Russia is going to be different the way that it shows up on the American frontier because they're different millions. The suffering is in some sense the same. But there's suffering that has to be undergone because there was a lot of culture built in, all kinds of really weird particulars that are having to be unwound as this thing is, is kind of being metabolized in. So I'm wondering if there's a if there's a piece of that, like that notion of what does it look like for us as people, like as humans, to have come to the po our post-tragic historical arc and be able to say, yes, we now do from our own sovereignty choose to take on this yoke. I loved in your conversation between the two of you, Jordan, when you did sort of what you just did a minute ago and just brought it up a level because we are participating in this as individuals, but then we also, all of us participate in multiple, multiple extended bodies, mm -hmm. subtle bodies. And again, this is, this is part of what have, has arisen, especially Jonathan and John have been poking at that. And um, these, I, I participate in. I participate in my Jewish heritage on my father's side. I participate in the Frisian heritage on my mother's side. I participate in the genetic layer of whatever has passed through that layer. I participate in the Christian Reform community that was an immigrant community. Now, growing up in the East Coast, living on the West Coast, I mean, there are there are just so many layers involved, and that. That at that period of adolescence, I think part of this also resonates with the fact that, you know, through Jordan Peterson, um, Joseph Campbell, even the hero's journey stuff, which has taken on a lot of resonance for a lot of people. People understand, I think, also the limitations of the hero's journey as a framework, but this there's a leaving and coming back. And these are built into how many biblical stories, um, you know, with, with Abraham. You have, you know, you you leave Ur, Egypt, it's back and forth. Um, and of course, Peterson picks up all these archetypal things. But so so that is that is happening at individual levels. It's also happening at communal levels. 
And we are participating in, in many of the various ways which make all of our individual stories highly idiosyncratic, but, but also deeply resonant with how many other layers that are happening at the same time. Well, if we think of, you know, Jordan and I talked a little bit about the complex versus the complicated. And if we think about humanity collectively as a as a complex organism that is actually meant to function as a coherent whole that is in some sense the actual body of Christ collectively Ooh. like technically that's the case if Jesus actually was God and man then technically all of humanity continues to be the body of Christ and like you said Jordan right we're fractured all over the place we're fractured as Christians we're fractured above that level too and in all these various layers of subtle bodies Right. We're sort of maybe maybe we're something like going through the adolescent phase of humanity as such in sort of like trying to figure out what it means to actually become a complex, coherent body. Mm -hmm. Well, Tom, you know what Tom Holland did for me, I noticed that he got a mention in your podcast too, Jordan. What Tom how Tom Holland really helped me was after all of this. Jordan Peterson, John Verveke, Jonathan Peugeot, I began to see through Tom Holland the ways that Jesus has colonized the world. And the more you understand church history, you, you appreciate the fact that Christianity very early on got out east. But the and, and so you can't you almost can't find currently in this globalized world we live in, a layer of at least fairly organized religion that Jesus hasn't managed one way or another to sneak some code into. And we're, we're watching this, we're watching this happen right now, especially as, you know, part of what I've seen also is that secularity sort of set it up, set itself up against religion, but there was sort of a Girardian um, rivalry going on there, whereby secularity was the seek this the secret second church that people participated in and unknowingly imbibed a lot of Jesus code to the point that we saw new atheists decrying religion while standing on its assumptions all the time. And, and so we've we've watched this process happen. And now we, we, we are in, a again, a differentiation phase where we see, you know, after the fall of the caliphate and the Ottoman Empire, sort of a resurgent Islam come up. And we're seeing that continue to take form in Turkey. You're seeing it with Modi in India. And then we see this strange thing happening in China, which is still hard to figure out what on earth is happening in China. But Christianity is growing under the surface there. And so... You know, what, one of the things that Tom Holland helped me see was that, oh my goodness, Jesus has deeply colonized this world and he is still moving, but he is moving in ways that even Christians are struggling to see, but it's happening. And, but, but then again, that, that forces then the divisions within Christianity, which in some ways are lamentable as Jesus prays against them in the Gospel of John, while at the same time do function as a sort of incarnated opponent processing within the church 
because I, I think the great human propensity is simply overreach. Once we find something that we get excited, we overreach. And then, yeah. you know, we keep having to be pushed back. And I, I see that as happening. That's the new phase after, in a sense, secularization won the world. Okay, now it's losing it. What will come instead? I don't know. <laughs> but but Jesus is very much in the battle in ways that people only sort of see and often completely miss. And, and so that's where the game B, I, I don't know a lot about the game B conversations, but I first saw a little bit from, from Brett Weinstein and then and then I then then Rebel Wisdom, I began seeing it. And and I always thought that in some ways, you know, what you see in Christ was what I saw as a preacher, because I was listening to all of this game B stuff, and I still had the discipline of having to preach every week to a church that has zero understanding of any of this internet stuff because they're all older people. And well, you know, how did Jesus colonize the world? And, and he's still doing it. But that gets back to the point I made to you, Ken, before about, okay, well, well, what do you mean by Jesus? And how how exactly do we relate to him? Is it through an institution? Is it through an imaginative, um, personal relationship conversation I'm having? Is it through a, a local group of in real life people that are meeting in his name, I mean, this this to me is is the cutting edge of what Christendom is wrestling with now. Mm. And we could have a long conversation about this. Like this concept, like um, have you heard the concept of meshwork? There's a, there's a, a book called A Thousand Years of Nonlinear History by a guy named Manuel de Landa. It's brilliant, and one of the things he points out is that the Consistently in history, we see these two movements that include hierarchy and meshworks as two different topologies. And um, meshwork is governed effectively by relationships. And of course, for the most part, Christ moved when he was incarnate through relationships. He had a certain number of apostles, and the apostles went out and talked to people, largely small groups, by constraint of the very limited. Paul writes some epistles, and that's everything else is person to person. Um, so there's something about proper relationship between that real hierarchy. And when hierarchy tries to take on overreach, when hierarchy tries to overreach, take on more than it is supposed to, then it becomes something wrong. Right? There's a hardening to it. There's, there's a, 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 you know, a, a, a domination, a tyrannical characteristic that's intrinsic. Uh, and there's something that happens at the level of the meshwork. And, and both of these are in a certain kind of relationships. This is that kind of relationship. Um, some of that's happened. And my, you know, Meshwork has been really struggling for a long time because until we had a global network that was intrinsically an open protocol, you couldn't actually do Meshwork over large scales. You had to govern territory and large populations by, by virtue of top-down hierarchies. There's no other way of doing it. Uh, but now we actually have a new way of doing it. And one of the things that we're feeling, one of the sufferings that we're undergoing, as in this case, very specifically the whole of humanity, is that that confusion of, oh, wow, things have shifted deeply, deeply fundamentally. And the playing out of that implication is not trivial. It's, it's gigantic. Um, yeah. 
Well, that so I don't know, Jordan, how familiar you are with estuary and this thing that I've been working on, which has basically been a estuary or church adjacent small conversation groups that the particular conversation of a particular meeting is generated from the people who gather. There, there are lots of different layers to this. I'm now doing it every Sunday at 9 a.m. We have our full worship service at 11, but it's it's that way of of try of trying to re-knit together. So in my particular group, I've got people who've been listening to my videos and have found me. Many of them are atheists. They don't go to church. They never had any involvement in church. And then I've got people who have been involved in church all their life. And now I'm putting them into groups of, you know, six to eight. And they are they're discovering each other. And it's it's a it's just a fascinating thing to watch. Yeah. And, and part of what I've seen happen in this little corner with respect to YouTube is that while there are certainly clearly hierarchies in play in terms of this little corner and all the conversations that we're having, it is this, it has become this meshwork network of conversations that are very ad hoc, just like this little one we're having right now, but are also available for viewing and increasingly available for participation and that is in, that is exciting people who would normally be sort of lurkers or in church terms congregants sitting in pews to and and to me I see this as deeply protestant because it is the increasing priesthood of all believers mm -hmm. that there isn't one priest and all the laity but what you have are people being priestly at different moments in time in different places to one another being knit together. So uh, I would like to pick up on that and talk about what you brought up, Paul, with that question of well, what do you mean to, to, to what, what's the Jesus that you're turning to? Because I think like what we're talking about here is, you know, the increasing capacity of human beings to be interconnected in some sense. Right. And it's like, regardless of which vector of, of connectedness Jesus arrives to me in, there's some, there's some manner in which like it, it's, it's, it's pointing to an underlying reality that's there. And I think, you know, so there's all sorts of things with the, with the separation of Jesus and Christ and using the sort of universal Christ idea. I think Richard Rohr does a pretty decent job of talking about some of these things. I really like Rohr's stuff, but um, I, I think, you know, if, if it is really true, then there is some sense in which like you're necessarily going to be participating with Jesus. And I think that's what you're pointing towards with, with some of the Tom Holland stuff. It's like, you're, you're always already playing out Jesus's story. Mm. And so there's a, there's a way in which you can't get away from it. That's actually right. the point, right? right? It's like, you're in it already. Yeah. So the question is sort of like, you know, in this, and this, you know, how, the question of the church is something like, well, how do we resonate with the way that Jesus is showing up? How do we report on it in such a way that we get other people on board with it so that we resonate with it and amplify it, right? And it's like the protocol for that is changing because the ways that human beings are interfacing is changing. And, and you know, that's like, yeah, exactly. Like that's what we're doing here, right? Like how, how do we get more of this, of this, well, Christ into the world? Mm. Well, one thing that would be really good, and it really helps with this uh, spontaneous formation of hierarchy thing, is if we're very clear on the fact that it's the spirit, it's not us. 
right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that if we just put that in the foreground and just continue to kind of stay in relationship with that, um, the, 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 the human hierarchy stuff, which is difficult not to have happen, right? Walk into a room and hierarchy is beginning to form. Um, can maybe be backgrounded to some degree. Certainly if we're not intentionally trying to pull an Andrew Tate and produce a human hierarchy on the basis of manipulation and power. Uh, that, that's that's helpful, right? So if we can say, look, this is not about me. This is about God. And I'm going to do my best. And um, and recognize that, that there's a suffering intrinsic in doing my best, which will continue to unfold, which is beautiful. Uh, that, that will help. I, I think also, Ken, so in my... In the talk that I gave, I put on my channel, the sound isn't very good, at the German Breakwater event, one of the interesting things when you look at the history of the church, you look at, let's say, very old history, orthodoxy, which is still present today. If you listen to people in the orthodoxy space, it's the liturgy, it's the liturgy, it's the liturgy. And the liturgy was the vehicle by which what you just pointed to in terms of Ken, getting Christ out into the world, the liturgy was sort of the focal point of the vehicle. You talk to Roman Catholics and you say, well, what is what is at the essence, the heart of the church? It's the Eucharist, the Eucharist, the Eucharist. So the Eucharist is sort of the focal point. Mm. And, then, and then when you get into Protestantism, there's on one hand, you ask a Protestant, it's a preaching of the word, the preaching of the word. It's sort of this this teaching mode. Now, all of the church have always had all of the levels. At the Orthodox Church, they had preaching, they had liturgy, they had Eucharist. And then the fourth thing to arrive, which I think is really where we're at now, is the fellowship. Mm. And, you know, John, it's, it's so interesting to me when John Verveke sort of lands on that word, because I, I think, and, and that's where sort of this estuary thing for me has come because I realized that I, I can I can talk to people all day long podcast YouTube um, my my education prophet Calvin seminary used to say you know mug to jug communication from my mug to your jug and he'd always say eh, it doesn't really work it was a lifelong school teacher teaching teaching theology he said, eh, it doesn't really work it was a funny guy. And, and so what I've been seeing is, in some ways, church has always had all of these levels. But at this point, part of what we need, I think, now is this re-knitting together in small conversation. I think partly because the women are no longer at the river washing the clothing together. The men are no longer in the field harvesting the grain together where you had all of that knitting in the village together with of course the spires the, the whole package there and now in, in in the increasing silos that are facilitated by these screens now you know what i see necessary in estuary groups all over is people need to learn once again how to have a conversation and, and it's so I mean, you think, no, you should you should have figured that out in your first 15 years of life. No, but if you don't catch it, then you got to spend 20 years learning what you would have in your first 15. And I think that's where a lot of the church is at. Where, you know, and, and so then when I do an estuary, it's usually the church. I get more pushback from the church people because the church people are like, you need a clear, the Protestants, you need a clear presentation of the gospel. 
that's not what I'm doing there. The, the Roman Catholics could say, you need Eucharist. And the Orthodox could say, you need liturgy. And I'll say, we've got liturgy and Eucharist and clear presentations. We've got that going over here. But what people really need right here is to sit down and learn how to connect with other people. That's the mm -hmm. same reason we have a marriage crisis now. Mm -hmm. Because what it takes I'm to, have to go in about two minutes. All right. Last words then. Yeah. Well, I was just, that was um, the, the notion of relationship at the ground. The Trinity itself is being constituted of relationship. And this, the gospel constantly being a process of relationship, relationship, relationship. And the, the image I had, it's funny, like you think about it in the West, at least, we're, we were TV addled and now we're internet addled. Um, none of which trains us how to be in relationship with other people. It doesn't just trained us how to be in a relationship with, say, persons, or in this case, Christ. And that's a very beautiful, like, a simplicity. Like, hey, guys, we need to relearn ordinary relationality because that actually is the ground upon which sacred relationality must sit. Yes. 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 Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. Learn to see Christ in the in the face of your brother. Well, and that's, again, that, that question... Ken, of how you access Christ, where two or three are gathered, in my name, I am there. And so in yeah. a sense, as, as we go further into the story, we're coming back down to basics. Yeah, and it's not to, and it's not to say that there's anything wrong with liturgy, Eucharist, and clear teaching. We need all of those, but let's find, like, what knits them together is this relation underneath. That's right. That's right. And if you, and... Now you can. What was interesting about yours? You can go anytime you got to leave, Jordan. Go ahead. Don't don't worry about it. Um, what was interesting about your you, Ken, your story, Ken, was I sit with many people who have had, and in almost every case, their church disaster story came down to this relational level. Usually, it was the program versus the relationship. Always, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. All right, guys. On that note, I will leave when my relationships are still healthy. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jordan. Thank Thanks you for coming in. Really appreciate it. Bye -bye. All right. Bye-bye. And and so you under you understand that in a community, there is always sacrifice is always required for the blessings of a community to be shared by all. Mm. Mm. You don't have a church without people sacrificing their time, talent, and attention. Mm -hmm. If people stop sacrificing their attention, meaning they don't come to church and, and participate, your church falls apart. People, sac people don't sacrifice their money, the church falls apart. People don't sacrifice their talents in order to, get to bring their talents to the church and use it to serve, the church falls apart. Sacrifice is always required for community. The difficulty happens when the sacrifices are involuntary. Yes. Yes, abs yes, yes, yes. Yeah, when you lose that depth, when you lose that depth of that sort of honesty that I talked about earlier, and, and you're being compelled into sacrifice reluctantly, I mean, that's a recipe for resentment. And then, you know, I, I think one of my, um, this, this lands for me in terms of my personal history. Like I can think of quite a few people um, who I think I, had 
damaging interactions with as a, as a child and adolescent in the uh, church sort of authority space who had been sort of, if not compelled from outside themselves, compelled by themselves, they've been forcing themselves to make these sacrifices. And then this is where it gets all tricky, right? Because oftentimes yeah. it's our, it's ourselves doing the tyranny over ourselves, right? There's yes. all sorts of, you know, um, Jung would have a lot to say about this, but um, that uh, that they had been compelling themselves to sacrifice things for long enough that they'd become resentful enough towards the towards others and and the whole thing in general that it's they it, even their attempt to sacrifice out of compulsion just became destructive. Yes, yes. And as I as a pastor, I'm always watching over the flock. And you're looking for signs of when it's going to fail. The relationship with the flock is going to fail. And what you just said right there is exactly what I think. There are often many reasons, but what I think is usually the tipping point. That mm. it's it's not even that the church has coerced them into this. But I remember when Jordan Peterson was talking about self-tyranny, that the tyranny has gotten so far in themselves and the dissonance of, I feel the need to sacrifice and I'm resentful of it. It hits a level of dissonance and done. I'm done. And I walk away. Now I then watch. And, and what's so interesting listening to you talk is I watch people walk away. And so then for the first number of years, it's, Oh, I'm so glad I'm free from that. I have my Sunday mornings to do whatever I want. I don't have to give that money to the church anymore. I don't have to give them. I can do whatever I want. Years are going to pass. And then stuff is going to happen. Oh, I I have to arrange a funeral. I, I, I don't really dare ask those people at church. Oh, I have to move and I need a hand. Now, that's where money comes in because we've developed an entire culture about how to not be indebted to anyone else. If I have enough money, I can hire it out. But yeah. that, but still that layer, and I don't know where you're at, but still that layer of church hauntedness where, shoot, you know, when, when someone comes into church, there and they die there are casseroles there there are mourners there there are helpers there there are ushers there and and i don't i don't pay them a dime the reason i don't pay them a dime is because i've been sacrificing the whole time and i'm paid up <laughs> and i'm just receiving what i've put back and it's never fair there are always the 20% give and the 80% receive the 2080 rule in church but it's always the way it is mm, yeah um one thing that comes up for me there just sort of as, as a it's, it's sort of an aside but i have you ever heard of the book debt by david graber yes i've read it oh. it's a oh it's good. a good book yeah. it's a great book yeah so yeah okay um but yeah i mean i think i think you're right i think that um Hmm. There's something about 
yeah, there's I, it, like there's just there's something about the coming together underneath something that that if if you do it genuinely, right? If you sacrifice genuinely, I, I just I keep coming back to this the sacrifice under compulsion versus the 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 joyful sacrifice, the willing sacrifice, the 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 desire to the serve, cheerful that, sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay, here, here's the thing that it reminded me of. Um, my so I'm I'm one of uh, nine 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 kids. Right, I have eight siblings, and I shortly after my first daughter was born, I I talked to my mom and I said, "Wow, I'm realizing now what you what like." I mean, I with one kid, I'm I'm sort of overwhelmed. Like, how did you raise nine? And thank you for your sacrifice. And she looked at me and she was sort of offended. And she said, don't thank me. Don't think it wasn't a sacrifice. And it, I've thought about that ever since because, <laughs> because what she said was, you know, I, there's nothing else I would have rather done with my life. And I notice now, as I try to live more in that sort of pattern, that that is always the case. It's always the case that when I let go of what I think I want to do and I do what serves someone else or, or whatever it is, I'm always more grateful. I'm always more joyful. I'm always more fulfilled. And I mean, it's so like, we all know this, right? But none of us, so many of us don't do it. And, and so, yeah, I, I like, yeah. You know, T. Groggett. Now, Zach, I see you in below, and I'm gonna. I drop the link, and we'll bring in people. You know, T. Grogan said, "Religion does provide community, no doubt about it. So does Marxism, Scientology, Mormonism, etc." And that's true. But community is not the same under every master, and we know this because your 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 employ your place of employment can provide community for many americans their place of em employment is their primary community but there's the quality of the boss and there's also a spirit of the shop or the office or the or the the vendor that governs like school spirit and so the the point with this is that what we're really looking to do we recognize that we need a head you know, Dylan said, we got we to gotta serve somebody. But the quality of the person you're serving matters. And part of the Jesus revolution was every empire would ask its citizens to sacrifice themselves for the empire. In the empire of the Son of Man from Daniel 7, he sacrifices himself for the rest of the community. And, and that gets built into our culture where, you know, in, in America, the president is supposed to be the servant of the nation. Gosh, I wonder where they got that idea. I don't think they got it from Caesar. And they certainly didn't get it from Nero. <laughs> and so churches, and this is where, so I was just, I was halfway through Jonathan Peugeot and Rafe Kelly's conversation, which is just outstanding. It's on Rafe's channel. You know, so Catholics use the word subsidiarity. Uh, there's a bunch of other words that get used. But the idea is, well, part of what happened is we used to have the clan. I mean, the nuclear family was that you lived in a, a village with your uncles and aunts, and there was a patriarch and a matriarch, the shadow matriarchy and the patriarchy had all of that. Well, in urbanization, that all got mixed in. 
And so what happened, especially in America, is sociologists noted the congregationalization of almost every religion that made its way to America. And the reason was the clan structures were broken up and nobody lived by their biological families anymore. And so what they needed to form was a congregation because you needed your group of five to 10, which was maybe your nuclear family. Then you needed your group of 100 to 200, which was sort of your cat-sized church. And then you needed your, your next size and your next size and your next size and all on up. And the story that the, the story that forms the community and the actual leader who is over the community, why is it that the, the Roman Catholic pedophile priest scandal had such an impact it did? Anyway, sorry, T. Grogan. T. Grogan gets me preaching like none other recently. Because so, uh, <laughs> he's, well, he's that's right. It's right. It's like you, you don't get a choice of, of whether or not to participate in a body. You don't get a choice of to follow people. It's just you just get to choose who. Yes. And so okay. sometimes you get to choose who. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. To the, yeah, exactly. Um, I do need to go and get back to work. Paul, this has All been right. an absolute joy. Thank, Thank you, you, Ken. All right. I have dropped the link. And so uh, some others of you want to come in. Zach, welcome. Hey, uh, great to be here. I was excited to actually catch up with... Uh, you and see this whole like, sort of world like I'm a, a longtime listener, first time caller sort of situation. Yeah, and, I've, uh, I've recognized uh, your name in the comments for a long time. Well, for whatever reason, I felt the call and I, I thought I was going to ask a question of Ken and then he just disappeared. So I guess, you know, we're, we're here together. You, me and uh, my buddy Ted over my shoulder here. <laughs> I don't have Apple TV. I've never watched the show, but I, I hear that a lot of people like it. Well, you know, there there are people out there who are encouraging subscriptions in order to, you know, have access to greater content. And uh, <laughs> at some point, you might feel the the tug to uh, to make that leap back into Apple TV. And and uh, I, I think you'll you'll love uh, what you find with Ted. All right. Well, tell me a little bit about yourself, Zach. So uh, I actually used to be a pastor myself. That, that was looks my like a calling. grass cross behind you. Yeah, it's it's actually a plus sign. Which, oh, uh, I couldn't see the bottom well, half. <laughs> it's 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 a type of cross, um, but it's that's actually a remnant from one of our failed coffee shops. So we have four coffee shops, my wife and I, and that was the one that failed. We called it Plus. The name of our coffee shop is called Honeymoon. We have a plus sign in the middle, and then we launched one called Plus, and it failed. Um, but I like to to speed it up. I uh, sort of fell away. I uh, went from sort of an evangelical into a type of universalism and uh, fell into an emotional affair, which turned into a full-blown affair, which kind of wrecked my whole life. And in, in putting it back together, uh, wondered how sort of God would let that sort of happen if I was earnestly seeking him. Mm. And that kind of changed a lot of my um understanding of what God might be and what prayer might be and, and understanding the voice of God and uh, putting the pieces back together, decided to try on atheism, like almost like figuratively, like, you know, putting a, a cloak on and it stuck. And that was probably about 12 years ago. And uh, I found myself in the last handful of years, like so many people you've been talking to sort of drawn back into this through Jordan Peterson and rebel wisdom 
and uh, now this little corner. So, so where are you at now? Just kind of, I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to bring Ken in was um, I, part of what is so, so when you look at the corners of the corner, I mean, Verveke tends to be religion that's not a religion, some of that type thing. Peugeot tends to be people who have gone all the way into orthodoxy. And my space seems to be more people, some some are in church and some aren't. And um, so, so where are you at in this whole thing? Yeah, yeah, definitely found myself more towards the Verveke side, maybe a year ago, year and a half ago. Uh, I double clicked into his uh, circling and dialectic into Dialogos, did one of those sessions. And, and, and honestly, it didn't quite resonate for me. And I'd say probably in the last six months, I find myself pulled more into, into your corner. And then this Jordan Hall thing, to the extent that Jordan Hall has created his own corner, um, I, I feel absolutely pulled into that. Like, yeah. um, we're actually going to talk. He's been very generous with telling people, hey, if you feel you want to have a conversation with me. Um, in fact, this his conversation with Jim Rutt was the first time that my wife gave a shit about any of the stuff that I try and share with her. I know I we've, haven't we've seen joked that with... one. <laughs> oh, what, what, oh Jim it, Rutt? Yeah. Is it on, is it on Jim Rutt's podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Jim Rutt's uh, YouTube channel. And Jim just like hammers him for the last hour about the statement of beliefs from his church's website. It's like, Oh, you believe that the the Bible is the inerrant word of God? Like, you really believe that? He does and a T. Jordan, Rogan on Jordan. <laughs> so good, it's so good. I I've heard um, I heard Luke on a live stream before talking about how his wife like won't even meet you, which is just crazy, but totally understandable. <laughs> My wife was so tuned in. So Luke, if you're still on and listening, maybe your wife would would jive with that second half of the Jim Rupp conversation as well. <laughs> she, gave, she gave an actual shit i mean it's like we were okay literally you know what it was valentine's day you know what she got me for a valentine's day present was a single ticket to go see jordan peterson live in st louis not both of us not both of us this was her valentine's day gift this is her self-sacrificial love is this is something that zach will give a shit about yeah that there is there is so much of that in this corner. I mean, in my first my first Jordan Peterson meetup meeting in January of 2018, it just go around the room and yeah, I found Jordan Peterson. I want to talk about it. I tried talking about it with my wife, and she looked at me like, "No, we're not doing this." <laughs> that's, but that's the wild thing, and and like it's it's funny, but like there the fact that Jordan's story has his wife involved in it so much. Yeah. And it is this whole familial intergenerational thing, I think is what makes me so, more drawn to whatever corner he's kind of creating and developing because it's like, oh, wow, my wife can be involved. My kids can be involved in it. That's that's the, that's the sort of the project that's drawing me in. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, this, I, I, I still think we're going to continue to see the church, the church has always evolved with the church has always met the need, not perfectly, but has risen to the need. And because when you just say, 
you need something that your wife and kids and the whole community can be in. Well, churches sort of do that. And you often wind up with men's group, with the women's group, and, and with moms, mothers of preschool kids, and on and on and on. And it seems like we're always just, we're continuing to reinvent this thing. So, Michael, what, what do you have to say? Um, I don't know. Can you hear this good? Yeah, yeah we, we hear you. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm just in, so I was thinking, you know, when you were talking to T. Grogan earlier this morning and, and just the way that, you know, that all these different things are reaching different people. Um, I don't know if you had heard it, but so the, the story I shared was about um, my dad before he got saved. He grew up Catholic and he, he didn't have faith. He didn't have a relationship with God, but uh, and he was very, very depressed and he was contemplating suicide. But the Catholic Church had a teaching that to commit suicide is a mortal sin. And so if you, if you do, you go to hell. It, it wasn't that he believed that was true, but it was like the possibility that that is true was enough to cause him to, to stop, to not take that, that move. And, um, you know, and I was just thinking about T. Grogan's problem was like, what is true? And it's like some truths, like we can't handle them, you know, and, you know, uh, like, like the, ni the nihilists have a, a pretty good body of evidence for why their viewpoint is true. And, and, and if, if, if which is always an incredibly ironic thing for a nihilist to have. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to be a nihilist, you really just kind of have to be a nihilist, but they really struggle with it. It's a point C.S. Lewis would make all throughout his books. He's like, you know, these nihilists, the problem they have is they can't stick to it. They always want a better yeah. society. And it's like, if you're a nihilist, you kind of got to be the joker. <laughs> but it's like, which, which, what certainty or what, um, you know, so it's that, like, I exist now because of that doubt that my father had. Yeah. And, you know, and then eventually he came to Christ and then, um, and then his, and, and like he, the other thing I hadn't, I hadn't known previously and I learned and like, basically his parents were like, are you going to remain Catholic? And, and he said, like, you've seen that there's been a great change, you know, in my life and how good it's been. And I don't think that he said it would be really easy for me to fall back into my old habits if I, if I remained a Catholic. And so his parents were okay with that and yeah. he was okay with them still being Catholic. Yeah. And yeah. um, I, I just, the video that released this morning, this morning's been so busy with Luke's live stream and now my live stream, but the video I released this morning, I treat Jordan's conversation about his wife's um, healing and then conversion. And the question is, well, why isn't everyone rushing to join the Catholic church? Well, first of all, compared to the Catholic church, Jordan Peterson is tiny. That's a hard thing for people in the Peterson space to recognize, but he might have 8 million subscribers, but there are how many hundreds of millions of people who are connected to the Roman Catholic Church? I mean, Jordan Peterson is tiny. The second thing is, if you listen to that conversation, Peterson is very interesting because he sees it not so much, even though that, that poor guy who's part of the Catholic News Network is really trying to sell it. Um, Peterson is just seeing it in a different frame. And I think part, we've been seeing this since the Reformation. It was true before the Reformation, but it's very much happening now where um, you, you 
institutions, you need them, but they're they're different. And I, so I think, Michael, the story of your fathers is a great example of a story that I've seen again and again and again and again in the world. That and and I see it. I see it often. It used to be in the Christian Reformed Church that if if your kid wasn't going to a Christian Reformed Church, it was an abject failure. Now Christian Reformed people are just happy. Well, at least they're going to church. And it might be Catholic, it might be Orthodox, it might be Baptist, but and so there's you know, we're continuing to work on these issues. Alan, I I, I was I was actually thinking of you when I was setting up this live stream because I thought, you know, here here is here is poor Ken. He's coming on the internet, he's telling us about you know his issues with church, and I was afraid you were gonna come in here with eyes blazing and say, Ken, enough! <laughs> Put a B. If he's still in here, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if he'd be walking away from this interaction. But, uh... <laughs> I don't know. Ken's, okay. Ken's a, no, I, and he's got eight. He's got like eight brothers or something. Or a good number of brothers. So, you know, in a, in a very psalmist way, you don't just walk up to Ken and think you're going to do something to him. He's got all those brothers behind yeah. him saying... Yeah, we may fight amongst each other, but you don't touch one of us. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, before I jump in, uh, Michael, I just want to say, I think we've been on a few chats, and I, I really like what you say, so I just wanted to say that. Zach, I've okay. never seen you before in my life, but you seem like a great guy, and I love your beard. It seems like a strong... I mean, one day I'll get there. I don't have the cheek growth, but, you know. Uh, Michael's the king of the beard, though, obviously. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Well, and, and that beard, that kind of beard, that takes discipline maybe i should just do a live stream no it doesn't about. no it doesn't oh, but when my beard no grows I, I my beard Dang. will cover the earth <laughs> wow it's very this is eastern the product of no effort this is this is just what happens so oh, I'm, you're I'm, happy. Lucky man. I'm i'm happy with it but it doesn't it's not it's not an effort of discipline so that's not my strong suit um uh but um one Alan, thing i'd say you yeah <laughs> One thing uh, I did want to bring up, well, well, first of all, when you said like, oh, problems with the church. Yeah, have the problems, but have them at the church, in the church, and participate. This is not like mutually exclusive whatsoever, and I've never understood, you know, guess what? Going to church, it's the best for, it's the good, really good step. You should be doing it. It's not going to solve all your problems. Like immediately people want to jam it into like, oh, it's going to solve it. It's just, you're, uh, if you believe in uh, like, uh like if we the the ideas that we talk about of uh dang now i'm blanking on them but just like the world is too big to understand by any one individual and you understand your values and your goals by participating in a body like those two things you're we've been talking about these for what three four years if you know those two things you should be participating in a body because you're not big enough to understand the world by yourself and, you know, so you can go to Mensa, you can participate by running for, you know, participating in clubs and whatnot. But I mean, I could go further into why church is the right move. But, you know, if you're not participating in any sort of higher spiritual body and you're in the corner, I'm like, these are the basic day one ideas that you're going to hear from Verveke, from Peugeot, you know. Uh, so so that's that's the other thing is like, yeah, you need a body. You need a bigger body than the body you got. Well, and I think Ken said it nicely we all will participate in something. Mm. Yeah. And the questions are, part of what we have, I was thinking, I think about this a lot. 
part of what we right, have right now is that we have so many bodies that we can participate in. You can be a Swifty. You can be a Niners fan. You can be a Chiefs fan. You can be. You can have a club about having a really massive beard. Um, I mean, mm. there's right now in our culture, there's no end of bodies you can participate in. What What's interesting, though, again, back to T. Grogan's point, is the only my only appearance on Justin Brierley's Unbelievable. It was so funny because. He, what does he pair me with when I finally get on the pro show? What does he pair me with? He pairs me with the guy who tried to start an atheist church. And he has a oh, full wow. head of hair, but he's pulling it out. Because what he discovered is it's actually really hard to create a body. And from just looking at the media, looking at the culture, he assumed an atheist church would be the easiest thing in the world to start. And he's just incredibly frustrated because... They don't come. <laughs> Zach, you seem to want to say something. Was was that the, the Sunday assembly? Yeah. Who, yeah. I, okay. Okay. You just have uh, committed the next hour and a half of my life to to uh, finding that video. It's not hard. Just go, Paul Vanderclay. Unbelievable. It'll probably come up. But but it was it was an incredible conversation. I I love the guy. I love talking to the guy because he was he was a wonderful guy to talk to but he was just completely frustrated because all the atheists were out there saying yeah we don't need jesus to have a community and so here's one guy stepping up saying i'm an atheist i'd like to facilitate the community i'll rent the hall i'll arrange the music i'll do everything all you need to do is come and the atheists are being niner fans and and of course, the atheist response to that is, well, atheism just means we don't believe in God. Oh, so you're saying it's not a group, but yet you identify as an atheist. So are you a group or aren't you a group? And mm -hmm. I'm not trying to dunk on anyone. I'm just saying that dissonance is a thing. And one of the astounding things about, I, I watch churches and, and you know, the, the T. Grogan points out the fact that Christians don't agree and they're fighting with each other. I loved what Jordan Hall said in that one podcast about that. Christians are fighting with each other, yada, yada, yada. But the crazy thing is that if you just say the word Jesus, even Christians that are fighting with each other on all sorts of levels will sort of straighten up, at least to one degree or another. And it's like, huh, that's interesting. What's with that? And well, it's like when you had Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris debating each other. Like anytime someone would score a point, you'd hear cheers in the crowd. It was like you, you very much picked your side in that in that battle when that was going on. I call yep. it a battle debate. Yep. Yep. So it, it's the, the funny, you know, I actually the, the precursor to the corner. The precursor to Jordan Peterson for many people was Jonathan Haidt. And when he started talking about the rider and the elephant, I'd listen to that and I thought, dang it, you know, this, 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 this thinky talky thing up here that thinks he's in charge of who I am and what I do. We've known that ain't true since Romans seven. And if you really want to actually have a, if you really want to have a, a life that is good, you got to deal with the elephant. And the only way to deal with the elephant is not talk to it. Go ahead and talk to your dog. You know, I'm, I'm working on training this dog. And this dog, when I'm done training it, is going to be the kind of dog that knows 
15 times more vocabulary than your dog and actually obeys. But I'll tell you, the amount of vocabulary that dog will understand is like this compared to a two-year-old. And, you know, we all, part of what I think the function of sin does and our stubbornness with respect to it is begin to teach us, gosh, I am not what I think I am. And that then gets into all of these other crazy conversations that are so difficult to have and certainly can't be nailed down in all of the ways that we modernists want to nail conversations down. Shoot, I'm talking way too much. I have other videos for that. I'm going to shut up. Uh, I don't know if you saw Malcolm and Simone's video that they put out this morning. No. But it's all about Jesus, and it's it's a pretty good one. I mean, it's crazy how, like, close they are to kind of like the whole picture i think but um you know and i mean it's i don't know i guess it's like it's it's, a, it's almost to say like are they christians like you know depending on how we define these things they're extremely they're extremely close and i read their book their uh, guide to crafting your own religion and honestly i wish like every evangelical pastor would read that book because they're actually trying to answer the question of how do you pass on your worldview to the next generation successfully? Yeah, and yeah. they've got and they've got a whole lot of it, I think, figured out really well. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's it was a dynamite stuff. They're, they're really smart. They really are. I I like them a lot. And then every now and then I, they say something. It's like what? Yeah. <laughs> God, are our descendants who have figured out how to transcend time? I'm, that's that's really scary if we're nervous. Well, what's so well, funny that's too a, about Gen- Genesis six? The the sons of God. It's it's Malcolm and Simone's descendants going back in time. That's that's my theory. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. All right. Pregnant pause. Anything you want, guys wanted to bring? Zach, did you have more you wanted to say? I, I brought these other guys in. Um, yeah, I I just want to say I appreciate what you do to sort of bridge things, even like Malcolm and Simone. I, I probably would have never found them or I, I would have judged them so quickly that I would have never let any of it come in if you didn't sort of midwife them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess want to thank you and encourage you for the, the, the ways that you're looking for that. And recognizing that we've outsourced, you know, some of our discernment to you in that way. And you probably feel that responsibility. And uh, I guess I just want to affirm it and uh, thank you for it and uh, look forward to what's coming next. And yeah, I appreciate you letting me let me come in. Like I said, I felt the calling. And uh, when you do watch Ted Lasso one day, come back to me and we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll report it for people. All right. Sounds good. Uh, great to see your face, Zach. It's a good it's, show. It's you always know. wonderful to see the faces behind the accounts. And to me, I mean, you know that there are people out there and then you watch what they say. And then, you know, like Anselman and T. Grogan, and if, I've met a bunch of them, but then when you finally get to meet them, it's like, oh, it's so good. It's sort of like a Christmas present because on the you get a Christmas present, you kind of shake it and you kind of get the size. You figure out a little bit about it. But then when you get to open it, it's like, oh, look, 
there's a little bit of their story and here's so to me this is this is just this is just more fun than i ever thought i could have so well, thank it, you zach it's, it's Thanks, all right take care all right well maybe maybe we're done talking today maybe maybe uh, we just have to end early yeah. uh i um, did have oh. go ahead alan <laughs> i did have one more thing um okay just uh with with yeah, yeah. <laughs> With uh, Ken's story about the uh, woman, I think she, he said she had nine kids uh, and being like, oh, thank you for your service uh, uh, and sort of her sort of saying, don't thank me. One thing I want to point out, and it, it sort of serves back to go to church, is you're trapped doing whatever you're going to do either way. Like the freedom you talk about in not having kids of like sleeping in, that's chains of another sort. You know, yeah. freedom yeah. apart from Christ is, you know, this is Jesus talk, but like. That's slavery, you know, like to be a servant of the most high is the freedom yeah. and to be, you know, so it's just, that's one thing where I'm like, yeah, it's going to like, it's hard. And there's elements that you won't understand, but you can sit around trying to take every data point ever that are constantly being generated infinitely more of, and you can yeah. kind of weave them together and make all the right decisions, or you can participate in a body that has a collective way of creating values. And you're going to, like we said, you're, you're going to do that anyway. Uh, and just the reason I bring this up is I think that that idea that like, well, it's going to come together and, and you know, they're going to the, they're going to knock on my door and they're going to haul me away to put me on the throne. And finally, they'll know that I figured it out. It's like the bumping around in the dark and participating in collective dot bodies. And the fact that it's not clean cut may, gives you the courage to actually go to a board game night, to hang out with your friends at church, to have kids and say well if i have this kid i probably can't I, I i won't become the famous athlete that i always knew i would even though i'm 45 years old it's like yeah buddy like that dream of becoming a famous athlete is a slavery that you're suffering from right now because it's preventing you from following the most high calling uh so it's just um yeah i'm just like guys like I mean, I love the thinky talky. I mean, I've listened, you know, how many podcasts do I need to listen to, to before people, you know, before I can say I love thinky talky, but ultimately like the participation, the doing, the going, becoming a Bible study leader, you know, talking to friends, da, 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 you know, well, we can list it out of the participatory, like that's where it's, that's where it's at. That's where the honey, you know, that's where the good stuff is. So yeah. I just, yeah, like the, the thinking of like anyone, like, especially having nine kids is anything like, I mean, as long, you know certain they've chosen to do this but it's going to be an immense blessing you know like it's going to be so much more valuable than like you know uh you know sitting around and being like well i never had kids and i'd never had responsibility and that's my freedom as i never was responsible to anyone or anything it's like what could be more like nauseate more like vertigo inducing than the idea of like perfect freedom where you are responsible to no one and nothing and no one cares about you and you care about no one else it's like that's that's a toughie. <laughs> that seems like a well, tough life. Well, part of part of what um and so so upcycle just gifted 10 gifts. I think I think if you click on the gifts or something, I think you can maybe maybe get them. I don't know how. Um but um yeah, okay, I'll get in there. Um get get a gift. Get in get in and watch some of those Randall's conversations that are behind the scenes. Um your you know, one of the things that I noticed watching people leave church is 
it's it's just like you talked about, Alan. People people are like, well, now I'll have all of these. I'll have all of this time to do all of these great things. You know what they wind up doing? Watching more TV. <laughs> you know, they they. It's just like you say. Well, now I'm going to be an athlete. Now I'm going to be. It's just like New Year's resolutions. Yeah. They they tend to settle down into their other. Um, they tend to settle down into their other masters and their other masters. And this happens emotionally too. If they were angry at church, now they're just angry. And, and one of the interesting things that they've seen with respect to church and politics, the most politically venomous people out there who, who sort of align with the religion no longer participate much in the religion anymore. Now they're just, you know, now they're just participating in one way. Now the politics has completely consumed the religion. Whereas when they were actually in a community with other people, those other people sort of retarded the force that those other masters had on them. Mm -hmm. Because, and, and churches do that naturally. It's like, I want to, I want, I'm going to be political. 24 7. Oh, but no, you got to go to church. You got to spend time listening to Jesus. Well, there's a little politics in there. And then you got to serve in the nursery. Well, it's really hard to be political when you're running around with a lot of two year olds. Um, you know, it's political of a different kind, but it's mostly mm -hmm. about toy sharing. And, you know, so no, that's exactly right. And I've seen so often, you know, one, one of the things that I see is people leave the church because, um, the church leadership were angry and controlling. So then they get out into the internet and you know what they are? Angry and controlling. And it's like, Jesus talks about that. You know, you, you, the church has made them a son of hell, you know, worse than they were. But leaving church only made it worse. Now, usually, you know, there's a whole amount of variation in there. Some people are part of really bad churches and they just got to get out. But, but usually there's sort of a period of, exhaling and getting that out of their system. But at some point, and this is kind of what we're seeing in this corner, they begin to get back into it and sort of in that adolescent phase that Jordan Hall was talking about it. And then when they come back in, well, they're ready to, they're ready to be an adult in church instead of an adolescent. So we're all growing up. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, that, that being molded so you can't participate in a body. I mean, you know, the bodilessness is, is a huge part of the problem. I mean, uh, you know, I'll just say it, but the chat has been wild this whole time. And like the chat's pretty bodiless. It's like, you know, anything can sort of, anyone can come in, say what they want and leave. I mean, the chat of the stream and like, you can go to any topic, but you know, so, so, it leans to the lowest common denominator. But uh, when you have structure and you, you, okay, well, you have to make the coffee. Okay, I was going to be political 24-7, but now I'll do 23-7 and one hour to make the coffee. And then I'll, you know, oh, well, now I, like you said, you know. Uh, so, you know, it uh, it prevents the lowest lowest common denominatorism by having walls and gates and structure. Yep, yep, it does. It does. And I mean, families do that. You look at, you look at men who aren't connected with families. They drink more. They do more porn. They see more prostitutes. They work a hot. They're workaholics. They they only have sports. 
men men don't do well unattached. Now they might say, "Well, I'm I'm free to I'm free to drink and screw and whatever." Yeah, but <laughs> you just proved the point that when you take away one master, the other masters step up. And mm. as that, I, I have I have worked with so many men in their seventies who they got to a point, maybe they became a widow, maybe maybe they're divorced two or three times and they get into their seventies. I see this with women, but it's different with women. They get into their seventies and they realize they've screwed everything. They've smoked everything. They've drank everything. They've, they've done all this stuff and they've just basically found the world is shallow. And then they start sitting in church and they start thinking about their relationships with the kids of their exes and the difficulty, the difficulty of ministering to this group, I watched my father do it too, is they tend to die on you. They 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 come in, they realize the way they've spent their life, and then in church they begin to find new life and they begin to really enjoy participating in the life of the church. You know, they 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 give their time, they give their money, they give their talent, and they find a new sense of joy, and then they're already in their 70s and 80s. And cancer or a stroke gets them, and out they go. I watched. I watched this all the time in my father's church in the black community because, I mean, the the with the family structure having been so disrupted in the black community, you tended to have a lot of black men that weren't able to, and enjoy years of marital stability because that itself is not just an individual accomplishment; it's a societal accomplishment, and part of you know. Part of the, it, it sounds so cliche in America to decry the breakdown of the family, but it's sort of like when Jordan Peterson and his thing says, when you lose your wife, you don't just lose your wife. You know what? When you lose your fan, when you lose the family, you don't just lose a family. You lose the stabilizing structure that forces highly powerful people like men to well, guess what? You're going to go visit your mom and you're going to go be faithful to your kids and you're going to be faithful to your wife. And just like you said, Michael, well, it sorts of gets instantiated in the Roman Catholic Church. It says you better not kill yourself. All right, I won't kill myself. And guess what that means? It means that Michael's father gets to have Michael and maybe see grandkids and you know, then get involved in a church where he has a personal relationship with Jesus. And and suddenly, instead of there being an incredibly sad story of a suicide, now you have flourishing. Gosh, and, and for me as a minister, that's, you know, I that's why I do it. When I see that, I say, now I can go and rest in peace because this person found eternal life. Well, what do you mean by eternal life? Ah, I mean a lot of things by eternal life. I don't just mean hell avoidance or going to a good place instead of a bad place when you die. I mean, Michael, your story nails it exactly. What life did your father find? He found love of children, love of grandchildren, love of a church, love of a community. That's eternal life. And it's because eternal isn't just a function of time. It's a function of quality. It's actually, 
I, 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 I get frustrated with the English translation in the New Testament. In Greek, it's life of the age, which means life of the age to come. It's, it's that quality of life. It starts now, and it doesn't end. So that's good. you guys keep getting me preaching. If you guys don't say, step up and say something, I'm going to talk this whole darn time. That's impossible minutes. with how much you're talking, Paul. You just can't even get a word in edgewise. And by the way, I'm just here to, to you know represent the clean shaven men. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what, what you were talking about, Jordan Peterson, where you're saying when your wife dies, um, it cuts off your, your whole future life. Um, I'm a little bit unique. I never was married until I was 49. So I took the single in first. Never had kids until I was 51. So I'm now 63, have a 12, 10, and 8-year-old. So it's a little bit backwards way of doing life. And then just two and a half years ago, my wife starts going off the deep end. Literally, I, I'm sitting at the table, at the dinner table, and because of you, it's like, you know, I grew up CRC. I've never lost faith or anything, but I sort of drifted away from the church, even though I was sending my kids to a private Lutheran school. So I'm sitting at the table, dinner table, and I say, you know, I'm going to start going back to church. And we had been doing breakfast every morning on Sundays. And I said, anybody who goes with me, we'll go for breakfast afterwards. My wife, right at the dinner table, says, you do this, we're getting a divorce. <laughs> that was two and a half years ago. Custody battle later, I finally have primary custody of the kids again. So I'm like, you know, full-time father. Life is way better than it was two and a half years ago. Oh, wow. by the way, heart surgery, aortic aneurysm during this time. My mother dies. It's been an exciting two and a half years. Well, and, and <laughs> well, anyway, was... back back to the Jordan thing. When he said, you know, divorce, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who say divorce of this type, like I went through, is like a lot like it's worse than your wife dying because you got to put up with that end, but also at the same time, your whole future life has just been rearranged and ripped up. So, yep. 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 Divorce, divorce is worse than death. And, but, but it's, it's like Ken said, I mean, someone might look at your situation and say, Oh, isn't this horrible? The 63 year old man has to chase around adolescence. Oh, no, that's not, not horrible. You say. No, that ain't horrible at all. So. <laughs> It's life. It's life. Oh, it's great fun. Like my middle daughter, I'm, I do stained glass as a hobby. And for um, raising money at the school, we have a school auction every spring. And I've been duplicating the church stained glass up there. I do one of the church emblems. Well, she's into it now. So she's, you know, 10 years old and just starting to get into stained glass. It's great. Found life. You found life. Oh, it's good. Thank you. Thank you, Dale. Thank you for sure. your story. This is so much of what we need are stories. So Michael shared his father's story. Dale shared your story. Alan, I mean, that's really, yeah, that's a, we'll see what Elizabeth uh, Oldfield does with my challenge to her to not just talk to high status people on the internet, but to talk to randos. There's no clicks in it. I'll tell you that right now. There's no clicks into talking to randos, but uh, it's something, it's something really good. So well, I, I sort of experienced the other side of what you got going is, you know, I told you I was in gaming type stuff where I used to have 10,000 paying subscribers 
who I would go online and do live conferences, that type of stuff. You know, in that little world, you're sort of famous, but outside of that world, you're just a normal person. Yeah. I'm sure you must have the exact same thing. It's like, yep. yeah, in this little corner, you're a famous person. But outside of that, if you ever bumped into anybody that heard of you in real life, be like, wow, you're the first. Yeah. Yeah. No, every now and then it, I bumped into a guy at Costco the other day. I was going through Costco and this guy stops and looks at me. I thought, uh oh, here we go. He Ooh. says, you're Paul Vanderclay. Yes, I am. How do you know? Oh, my pastor told me to watch your YouTube channel. And uh, actually, good thing that you mentioned this because coming up on the 20, let me pull up a calendar here. Coming up on the 24th of the 24th of February, I am going to be in Battleground, Oregon. I have a church meeting the next day and I have to fly up the day before. So I'm going to do an estuary meeting in the, let me pull up the name of the church. I'm going to just do a little video announcement of this anyway. I am going to do an estuary meeting in Cross, where where is it? Um, in, in a church in Battleground. I'll put another video in. But if you live within driving distance of Battleground, Oregon, um, and are available Friday night from 7 to 9, and um, come on down. And we'll do an estuary meeting in this church. I, you know, I always leverage that the, the church is getting, the classes is getting me up there to do synodical deputy work. So it's like, I got to fly in the day before. So, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to do an estuary meeting and um, we'll see how many people come up. And it'll probably be six to eight, something like that. But uh, I'm just famous. I'm, I like my level of fame. I'm just famous enough that if I go to a random town, I can draw a handful of people, and for two hours, we can have an interesting conversation. What is an estuary meeting? If only we had an answer for that question. Uh, Estuaryhub.org, or find a man named John Van Donk. He will love to tell you about estuary. Just Google Paul Vanderclay estuary, and you can find what an estuary... This This is a dynamic that I try to remind people about, that... It doesn't matter how often you talk about estuary on your channel. There's always someone who hasn't heard about it. So, you know, it would be really great if we could, it doesn't have to be you, somebody who does videos. If we can get like a 15 minute video to share with like, like I, cause I'm, I'm thinking like my, our new pastor at our church, like he would be on board. I think he, cause he's, he's actually, it's actually interesting. Cause he's, um, He's re revamped a lot of uh, churches before, but he's mostly worked in more urban environments. And now he's in the suburb of San Antonio here where it's all thinky talky people mostly. And he's trying to figure out how to get them to come. And so I think, I think he would probably be pretty excited about something like that, but it's just, I yep. can't give him a five-hour playlist. <laughs> no, nope. Justin Wells is, John Van Donk is leaning on Justin Wells, who teaches documentary filmmaking, to do a 10-minute estuary introductory video. Oh, and, excellent. But, excellent. but of course, just like everything else in church yeah. and in this little corner, we sort of have to rely upon the, the goodwill and um, of people. And Justin will do an excellent job. He's yeah. also working on a bigger TLC documentary. Uh, Charlie Brown, did you see his documentary? I'm sure you did, Michael. Um, 
this little TLC documentary was awesome. So yeah. Uh, estuaryhub.com or .org. I don't remember what it is. Um, but yeah, no, it's, and, and even if you, and even if you, that, that's the thing that you learn as a pastor about colonizing people. It's remarkably different and it's a really good thing. It's different, but it's, it's re- difficult. It's remarkably difficult, but it's, um, and, and that in a sense, that's why it's sort of hard to get an estuary up and going. But once you get it going, like Bendonk has worked on it for a long time, and his is a beautiful one, but it does take some time. And especially if you're sort of beholden to a pastor, and it's really tough because pastors pastors have a lot of people constantly trying to colonize them. Mm. Yeah. One thing with the, because my estuary is more dominated by non-corner people, it makes me crack up laughing because anytime we try and describe the structure of it, they all look like, what are you talking? Like, we're having a group conversation with crackers. Like, excuse me? And it's like a perfect, le- like, div- div- like a wedge issue of, oh, well, we're initiating a spirit to come down upon us. And there's liturgy and ritual. And they're like, I'm drinking a Diet Coke and talking about my cat. I don't know if I'm initiating a spirit to come down from the heavenly places and be instantiated on earth. I think I'm more eating, you know, a cracker and cheese. And so I don't know. It's just so, you know, you could call, I mean, this is why all these terms are impossible to like actually define because they're both sides of simple and extremely complicated, which is all things, which is why you should go to church because it's too complicated to describe easily. So see, I can wrap all of my points into going to church. (laughs) Which was the branding that I opened this thing with. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to close it with branding too. I, I, um, you know, I, I opened it with the, I opened it with the, um, the go to church branding. And of course this branding is, you know, Racco did that. Racco's I'm Racco. You're in the comment section. I, you are colonizing me with your branding and I am going to copy the heck out of what you're doing with your YouTube channel. So, uh, be prepared. Um, so yeah, yeah. And I would just don't want to highlight, I've, I've wanted for a long time to do a randos conversation with Nate Vendenand, and that, that's going to have to come, Nate. Uh, so Nate's in the live stream. Nate is another Christian Reformed minister up in Canada. His grandfather was good friends and co-laborers with my parents in Patterson, New Jersey, did really beautiful work, uh, really along the lines, Michael, of what you look at in terms of Herb Vendenand had some industry in Patterson. He taught so many people trade skills and work skills and gave them, you know, these kids growing up in Patterson that might not, you know, have much of a chance, gave them a future. Herb Vendenand did that beautifully. And that's, uh, that's Nate Vendenand's grandfather. And Nate is just a, he's a, he's a, he's a fine testimony to his family heritage because he's another one of the, um, moderators on crc voices which i have been extremely negligent about but nate nate is is just a terrific guy and he's he's been doing exodus 90 so i'm really surprised he's been uh in this so anyway um yeah last five minutes i should probably end on time i got to do other things today but um last points anyone wants to make i have a question simple question before he popped in my head yeah, I assume you you keep conversations fairly private with your you know people from your congregation. Yes. How do you not vent sometimes to your wife? 
Well, I do vent sometimes to my wife. <laughs> They're one flesh. But she but she she vents to me 10 times more than I vent to her because she's a public school teacher. Okay. <laughs> so in terms of the label the level of ventings, I have so much I, I the, the amount of venting that I have absorbed, you know, I could vent for years and not catch up to her because I love my job. She often comes home and she looks at me like, it's so unfair how much you love your job. And I'm just sorry, honey. I, I just, I just love it. What does she teach? She teaches at a Waldorf school. So they loop up with their kids. So she's in the same class with her kids for from first grade to eighth grade. And so it's, and so it, in a Waldorf school, there's no set curriculum. There's sort of a Waldorf tradition. So she always has to make her own lessons and she has all the other things you have to deal with in terms of parents and administration and all of this stuff. So, um, but it's so funny. She vents, but she loves it and she loves the kids. I mean, she wouldn't, she wouldn't do it if she didn't love them. She's always fantasizing that, well, maybe we'll win the lottery and I won't have to work. And I keep saying, if we want, first of all, you have to play. Second of all, um, if we actually won the lottery, you'd probably keep working. <laughs> yes, Wendy from Framingham, um, the uh, the budding New England estuary. They're they're they're. That's they where keep... both of my both my parents are from Framingham. Uh, Logan Express. That's how I always get in and out of Logan through Framingham. So. Um, do they serve? Do they serve salad lunch at Waldorf? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Any last questions? Otherwise, I'm gonna hit the branding and out we're gonna yeah. go. Yeah. Uh, uh, Burns Burns live, so everybody should go over there after this and get his numbers up and support. His All right. Team. So if you wanna and and the the key to Burns Library is burn. Byrne basically just wants to get on steroids in terms of his channel because he's got all of this stuff in his library in a storage unit in Haines, Alaska. And he's now figured he will live probably the, live the rest of his days in Tbilisi, Georgia. So he wants to get reunited with his library. So if you got some donations to give, go to the Anadromist channel. That's the name of his channel. And, um, you know, give him a little donation, help him get his library over. So <laughs> anything else? Uh, yeah, I had one. Uh, this is just something that I've been thinking about and processing. Uh, it's good to say it out loud is like how to basically, I guess this is, I believe something and then how to do it, but how to rehabilitate the word submission, because mm. I feel like that word is so once I started to understand it and it, it was so helpful, it is so helpful. You got to serve someone, you got to serve something. You're under that thing. You're sub sub you're under that mission. Like, it's so helpful. And when I, you use that word and immediately it's just attacked on so many different way levels. And I just laugh to myself because I'm like, you're every, everyone all the time is submitted. So, yep. um, yep. you know, John Verzicki can invent a new version of that word. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, we'll need it, but it's just so, uh, makes me sad when people don't see that, like, you know, that's such a key ideal. Or not ideal, but uh, idea. Um, yep. Bob Dylan, you got to serve somebody. 
It's mm-hmm. it's it's just true. So I dropped Burns. I dropped the chan- dropped the link to Burns um, Burns channel there in the show links. That's where. And right now, Burn. It's so funny because Burn Burn used to spend time doing PBS telethon fundraiser. So when Burn does his fundraiser, it's just like a PBS telethon, except instead of like the kind of things that PBS does, like the music. Burn gets this music from Tbilisi, Georgia, and plays it on his channel. So it's it's really it's really hilarious to hilarious to watch. So there's the link. I just I just put it in the in the comments. And um, all right, so I am going to figure out. I'm you know I'm just trying to learn how to do these things. So here comes the um, here comes the uh, I, I sent this to Freddie and he. Boy, he hit the moon. So here it comes. That's Freddy D. No at all. That's my old name, G. Now, if that doesn't put a smile on your face, I don't know what will. So we're in uh, agreement there. <laughs> so thank you all for watching and have a good day. Bye.